Hello and welcome to At Home With, a podcast from the residential business at Knight Frank. At Home With offers a glimpse inside the lives of some of the world's foremost property experts. And every week you'll be hearing conversations with agents from across our business about how they made it to where they are today, how they found their dream homes and how we can help you find yours. I'm your host, journalist and social media executive at Knight Frank, Rebecca Hills. Today I'm joined by Priya Black head of our new homes team in Baker Street. Priya and I'll be chatting about the highs and lows of her career, her most exciting property sales, and what it really takes to make it in the world of real estate. Priya joined Knight Frank back in 2007 and now works in the residential development department in London. Priya has spent the last 10 years of her career working on some of the most exciting developments in London and boasts a wealth of knowledge and expertise in the sector. Priya, it's a pleasure to welcome you onto the podcast. Thank you very much for having me, Becky. How are you doing today? How is life in lockdown been for you? And especially since you've kind of been getting a little bit back to normality. Life during lockdown has been pretty good. Um, I think we're enjoying certain aspects, such as spending more time in the garden. Um, We've had wonderful weather, which has obviously helped. And we also had a new puppy that came to live with us in February. So having a bit more time with her has just been wonderful. Amazing. I'm so jealous that you've got a puppy. What sort of dog is she? She's a Labradoodle. So I understand that prices of puppies have apparently gone up by 50% during lockdown, which is quite interesting. Everybody looking for a companion. Oh, amazing. I'm so jealous. I looked at fostering a dog at the beginning of lockdown, but they'd all gone sadly. And what else have you been doing during lockdown to kind of keep yourself sane? And now we're easing back into normal. What have you been getting up to? So I live in Kensal Rise with my husband. So we're surrounded by parks and green space. Um, So both of us working from home has obviously had its challenges, but we try and take time each day to go for a walk, whether it's in the morning or late in the evening with the dog. I think really, you know, trying to get out and have some fresh air has helped. Um, You have to try and separate the working day from, from home life, whether it's just getting changed or just switching everything off and cooking a meal. Um, I think it's it's having that separation, which makes it a bit easier. Mm, definitely. And having spoken to a few people on this podcast, a lot of them have spoken of the, the kind of ups and downs of managing people from home. How has that experience been for you personally, managing teams remotely? I definitely miss the interaction, um, you know, and, and the humorous side of it and having conversations with people in the office, but we have all adapted to having a daily call. Um, We also seem to have had a lot more interaction with colleagues we we don't necessarily see very often, both in um, other offices and overseas. And that's definitely been one of the more positive outcomes. But on the management side, um, you know, contact has been key and having, you know, daily conversations, WhatsApps, Zoom calls has really helped. And I do feel like we've got to know each other a bit better and, you know, understand a bit more about our personal circumstances at home. So, you know, we should come out of this being being even stronger. And to take things back to the beginning of your career, I'd love to find out a little bit more about what the driving forces were behind choosing a career in property and what inspired you to get into this industry. I know a lot of my colleagues will probably say this, but it was most definitely a love of architecture and interior design. Um, I initially studied law and very, very quickly realized that I didn't really want to be a barrister and then studied marketing and PR. So after graduating, I ended up working in a marketing team for a property company and then subsequently moved over to Knight Frank in 2007, um, which was our Leeds office. As you can imagine, that was perfect timing before the, the global financial crisis. But um, it's really been a lifetime of of also seeing my father develop, albeit on a smaller scale, and then also seeing regeneration around the Yorkshire area. Um, I've just found it fascinating and still do, actually. 
And you mentioned that you started your career in marketing and then moved into residential development. Do you find now that you utilise those skills that you learned when you were working in marketing in your current role? Are those things that you bring in, has that actually served you well and made you a more well-rounded and multifaceted person with what you're doing? So I found studying marketing extremely valuable, um, especially as we tend to write a lot of marketing recommendations for our developers and we work very closely with our PR team. So I definitely recommend it to, to you know somebody that's looking for a career in the industry. And you started off in our Leeds office and then moved to London. What were the big differences that you noticed between working in residential development in the north and now working in London in the same industry? So when I was working in Leeds, we did work on a number of regeneration projects, which I think has been invaluable because, you know, also working in in London now, I've worked on a couple of huge regen projects. But the differences are more that you're dealing with probably smaller developers, um, a lot of independents, as well as the house builders, and they operate quite differently to the funds that we tend to deal with in London or the larger developments that you know work globally. So the job is, is incredibly similar, but you are dealing with a very different you know, price bracket and you're pretty much adding a zero or a couple of zeros onto the pounds per square foot. Mm, and I went to university up in Sheffield and so have a little bit of an idea of those differences between London and the North and how those regional differences really do make a difference when you make the move. And so did you find any big differences, I suppose, in terms of pressure or work-life culture or anything when you did, made the move from Leeds to London? Yes, I would say that the working patterns are, are certainly different and a working day can be nine to five thirty. Um, I'm, I'm not sure whether that's still the case. And obviously, London is is a bit more fast paced, but the you know the the elements are still the same, and we still work weekends both in London and and in the north because a lot of our development launches tend to be in the evening or at weekends. But yes, the pressure is slightly different. I, I think being in London, we obviously have the commuting and the living costs to bear in mind. So there are various pressures rather than just the, the office-based um, structure. And so what was it that inspired you to make the move from our Leeds office to London? I'd actually been considering it for a few years. I had a number of friends that had, had already moved to London after university. Um, and then I was speaking to a number of our colleagues in the Baker Street team. We had a couple of trips down to London to see the King's Cross development, which coincidentally has been a project I've now been working on for 11 years. Um, and I just found it more exciting. I mean, the varied projects, it's just immense. We are constantly learning. Um, so I made the move during the financial crisis. Um, so it, it was a very different market to what it is now. So I feel like I've been on a bit of a huge learning curve, which is just starting again, actually. And why was it that you chose residential development over, say, residential or commercial? What was it that drew you towards this particular sector? As I mentioned earlier, I think observing my father develop um, is probably really where my interest started. Even though it was on a smaller scale um, and very small developments, I always found it fascinating. Um, And then living in Leeds, the regeneration really had to take into account Yorkshire's industrial history. It was very sympathetic to the architecture and history around it. So that's probably where my interest in development, you know, really started to grow. And then coming to London, it just seemed obvious, really, to to continue in residential development rather than the residential side of the business. Working with clients and providing marketing strategies is just something that, that seems to come quite naturally and something that I really enjoy as well. 
Mm, And you said that it comes quite naturally, but in those early years of your career, how did you find adjusting going from a more marketing and PR background into being client side and working on development? Did you have any teething issues in the first few years or did you take to it quite easily? I think it's fair to say that we have a lot of um, demanding clients. So I pretty much have been working with clients since, since I graduated, which makes it a bit easier. But I find just listening basically to their, their needs and expectations has always been key. And also just trying to build up my own project product knowledge and being able to give them um, invaluable research has always helped. You then build up a relationship which you retain for years and years in some cases, which, you know, in times like this is, is imperative. Mm, and this thing comes up a lot in this podcast. Everyone I speak to really kind of pushes home and emphasizes that value of listening in in the property sector, because I think so often it's all about people think so much about talking and sales and having that gift of the gab and talk, talk, talk until you get a response. But actually, what I've realized from these conversations is that value of listening. And why is it that listening is so important to you? And how do you go about making sure that you're listening to your clients and serving them in the best way possible? I think it's important to point out that listening to clients is obviously critical, but I do think listening to colleagues and customers is also very important. Um, We basically need to show empathy and understand requirements on a daily basis. And I don't think we can truly do that until we understand what, what our customer or colleague is looking for and what their ultimate goal is. Um, And I know that all of us probably have reiterated this, but there is so much to learn and, you know, the market is constantly changing. And I find that we learn from our younger colleagues just as much as we learn from our more experienced colleagues and our clients are the same. They give us, you know, competitor knowledge. They tell us what our competitors are doing for them. And without listening, we can't really understand how we can evolve and provide them with the best possible service. And I think that's a really interesting point about giving an ear to both younger people and more senior people. I think so often people defer to the more senior members of a team without understanding that no matter who you are, you're all going to have different perspectives and experiences to bring to the table that can lend themselves positively to a project. Exactly. Yes. And we have such a wealth of knowledge at Knight Frank and we have some very, you know, intelligent graduates and people that are coming to us with a lot of experience with social media, because obviously it's a different you know, generation now to a lot of the people that have been working for us for years. So there is just so much to learn. Um, as I said, I'm, I'm constantly learning every day from some of our team members. And aside from listening and utilizing research to serve to your clients, what would you say were the biggest lessons you learned in the early years of your career that you're still using and translating into practice now? So going back to listening, obviously, that that's the biggest lesson that I think I've learned, um, but also getting out there and researching property development design has been imperative. Um, I do think that, you know, anybody that's pursuing a career in residential development should really spend time going out to see developments. Um, there are so many launches that can be attended. Also keeping abreast of what's happening on social media and following other companies in the sector, such as architects and interior designers, because there's something that we can learn from all of them. And it all has a knock on effect. What's happening in the construction industry, um, what's happening with the delays in furniture at the moment, it all impacts um, what's happening in our sector and the, the subsequent delays that we are experiencing with residential 
developments. So to somebody who is considering a career in property and might not have might not have looked at residential development, they might just see residential and commercial and not realise maybe that the residential can be split into those two categories. What advice would you give to them about getting into the industry? And why do you think that it's such an exciting place to be? Uh, I think, as I said, the, the, the main advice would be to get out there and see as, as much product as you can, which is probably easier said than done. Signing up to property portals, right move, for example, that's probably somewhere to start um, and trying to you know, understand what's happening in the area that they're interested in. If you're interested in residential development, I think it's it's quite important to point out that no development or property is too small. There's just as much to learn from a boutique development as there is from a larger prime scheme. Um, and as I said earlier, you know, research shouldn't be limited to working hours. There's just so much out there. And when I was studying and pursuing a career, we didn't really have all of the, the various portals um, and the social media engagement that we have now. And I really think that's where you can build up your project product knowledge, which eventually becomes key. I think trying to pick a career between residential development and, and the residential estate agency side, um, that probably comes a bit later. I think really it's trying to establish where they're interested. What, what kind of properties are they interested in? Do they prefer dealing with customers or vendors? Um, there's quite a lot to learn before you get to that stage. And as you said, it's all about getting out and seeing the developments. And the great thing about property is that you don't necessarily have to be stuck behind a desk all of the time. You can get out and you can see clients and developments and go to interesting places and do really cool things. So what would you say that you love most about your job? Is it this variety or is it something different? The diversity is is what really keeps it exciting. We're in constant communication with our developer clients, and we also get to interact regularly with our front offices and global teams, um, which is fantastic because we're communicating with everybody you know, on a daily basis. The day-to-day routine is always varied. One day we can be pricing up a smaller development of you know, five, six units in central London, and the next we could be traveling to the Far East for an event with the local teams over there. So as market conditions can be you know, quite erratic, we are constantly having to adapt our strategies and keep abreast of what our comp- competitors are doing. So I think that's really what you know, keeps me going. It's, it's the excitement, it's constantly changing. And we have such a large team that, um, you know, as I said, there's always something new to learn from, from our colleagues and also what's happening in the market with our competitors. We work very closely with our competitors Um, to try and understand how they're finding the market. Um, And we probably have weekly, daily calls with with some of them. And what's it like working with so many different developers on so many different projects? I can imagine it's sometimes quite difficult to not keep tabs on them all, but tailor your approach to make sure that each company you're dealing with in a bespoke way. How do you go about making sure that you have those healthy and unique client relations with each of your developers? So I'd say a lot of our clients do have similar requirements, um, you know, albeit that they are dealing with developments on a you know, different scale. Some are dealing with smaller sites and others are, are handling large developments all over the world. Um, but they all have basic requirements. And, you know, it goes back to, to listening to their needs and adapting our style, which is critical. Um, I do think getting to know our clients on a personal level is really important, you know, understanding their family circumstances, you know, understanding how old their children are, constantly asking them about their family, you, because you have to build up these relationships. 
And in times like this, where the market becomes, you know, a bit more difficult, those relationships are critical and they last, you know, for 10, 20 years in some cases. And was there a particular moment or incident that made you realise the value of those client relationships or did it develop, I suppose, more organically throughout your career? I'd say it probably became important um, when we went through the, the last financial crisis because, you know, everybody was in it together, similar to, to how we are now. Um, and we can all help each other. You know, Knight Frank is, is we're very lucky because we have a great re- research resource and providing that to our clients has just been so important over the past few weeks. And during times like this, I think having that constant communication has been imperative and it's led to repeat business. So I'd probably say that, you know, once you understand that a client wants to instruct you again, that's when you realize that you've been providing them with the best possible service. And is that empathy that you touched on earlier, do you think that that's a vital characteristic to have to be successful in the in the industry? Do you think being able to understand the needs of your clients, not just on a logistical basis, but on a more personal basis, do you think that makes you successful? I would like to think so. Um, I would like to think that that most of us within the, the department and the team have had that level of empathy. Um, we are speaking to our clients on a very, very regular basis. As I said, it could be daily. It could be, you know, two or three times a day if we're launching something. So for them to understand that we are we are listening and having empathy and that we can adapt quickly um, is is really quite valuable to them. And we always really need to be available for them and making sure that we are able to help in, in you know, whatever way possible, whether it's outside of hours or helping them with something as simple as delivering keys. It's just trying to help in the best possible way. And translating that into the role that you have now as a department head, how do you go about managing people in your team? How have you found the transition going from in the team to managing it? The role has had its challenges. Um, you know, especially given recent market conditions. But we do have a very close-knit team, so I'm quite lucky. And I'd say that something that I've tried to do is get to know each individual on a personal level since since the transition. Um, there's always room for improvement for all of us. And as I said, you know, I, I'm still constantly learning. Um, I think, but, you know, trying to f- listen to what they're saying and utilizing their experience and asking them their thoughts is quite important because I don't always have the answers and, you know, none of us do. So sometimes when we are trying to think about a strategy or a launch, it's very easy to slip into the mode where we just suggest what we think would work best. But trying to, you know, understand what they think and how it works for them, um, I, I hope that helps and I hope that it's something that's you know, helps build the relationships between us. So to now in a little bit on the property side of things, as I'm personally very interested in our developments, when you're getting ready to launch a new development, what is the process that you undertake to do so? What steps does it involve? So we could be involved from from the outset. So sometimes we can be working on a project three to four years before we launch, um, which means that we are fully, fully immersed in the scheme before it comes to, to launch time. So we, there are just a number of things that we, we try and encompass, and it can be, you know, instructing our research team, trying to find out, you know, what's happening in the area in terms of growth, understanding the transport links and actually utilizing them to try and, you know, find out which way is the easiest method to get to a development, looking at the USPs around the area and also the neighboring areas um, there's a couple of us in the team have we've produced hampers when we pitch, which means that we go to local retailers and local markets and understand how they work. Um, community engagement. 
Uh, we have a lot of events programs where we try and involve the community and get to know people that live in the neighborhood and understand their thoughts about a development. So it can encompass all like such a varied, varied um, range of elements as well as the marketing side. So the marketing side includes getting involved with the brochures, commenting on CGIs, but the part that I find most interesting is, is being involved in the interior design pictures and commenting on the concepts. So that tends to be in the very early stages um, and it's definitely the most interesting part for me. And why is that interior design, the more creative side of things, why is that so exciting for you? Why is that your favourite part? That's probably why I ended up in, in the property industry because of you know a love of interior design and architecture. But when we are working with the interior designers, we tend to have three or four that pitch for a scheme. Um, and then we end up working very closely with, with the chosen company for some time. And ultimately their concept ends up being used for both CGIs and then the show apartment is actually then based on the CGIs. So watching that process over the years can be you know, extremely interesting. And then when you finally get to see the finished product, and sometimes when you can compare how similar it is to the original concept, it, it can be quite fascinating. And are there any developments with particularly incredible interiors or interior designers that you've worked with that really stick in your mind? So there, there is a small independent company that was set up quite recently called Number 12 Studio. And we have worked with them for a number of years um, when they worked uh, for a different company. And they then set up number 12, I think probably around two or three years ago. And watching their progression has been incredible. Uh, we now work with them on a number of projects, a couple that are being launched quite imminently. And building that relationship has just been wonderful. You know, they can recommend clients to us and vice versa. And seeing their progression has been has been great, watching them grow with us. And in terms of developments that we've currently got on the market at the moment or things that you're working on that are in the pipeline, what are some ones that you're really excited about and really enjoying working on? I'd say that the most exciting launch is the Vidian. It's a site that sits across six acres in Acton, which isn't too far away from where I am at the moment. Mount Anvil and Catalyst are developing the scheme. And because it's less than a minute away from Crossrail, it obviously has great transport links but it also benefits from around 26 billion pounds of regeneration in the area. So West London is very exciting to me, not just because I live here, but I do truly think it provides a great investment opportunity. Um, and especially given that there's so much green space around the area, it's actually a very good buy for both investors and owner occupiers. So whenever we launch a scheme around West London, we seem to see a very healthy mix of, of both really. And looking back historically throughout your career, is there any particular development that you would say is not your favourite, because I suppose you probably can't say which one's your favourite, but is there anyone that you have particularly fond memories of or that you're particularly attached to? It's safe to say most of our developments are interesting. Um, I do genuinely enjoy working on, on pretty much all of them. But one that does really stick with me is a boutique development in Marlebone, which is on Seymour Street and just around the corner from, from our head office. It was a former police station that Knight Frank had been involved with for some time, and it was then re redeveloped into a mixed-use scheme, including 24 apartments, um, some of which were slightly compromised. The launch ended up being delayed um, for, a, for a couple of months because of the EU referendum in 2016, and then we eventually launched starting at £1,650 a square foot and ending up close to £2,000 a square foot. And that was after going to best and final bids on pretty much every apartment within a very small space of time. 
And the interesting thing about it, it wasn't just going to best and final bids, which was just an incredible, incredible experience, but it was watching the collaboration between the residential development team and the Marlebone front office, who both worked very closely to achieve the best possible result that we could for, for our clients. And to divert the conversation ever so slightly and bring us back onto the topic of social media, which you discussed earlier, I'd be really interested to see what your perspective is on it. As someone who is particularly invested in social media themselves, how do you find yourself using it from the residential development perspective? And do you find that it's a useful asset to have? It goes without saying that social media is is a great tool and digital campaigns are becoming increasingly important, especially for new homes. Having a digital profile such as LinkedIn is beneficial for several reasons. The obvious ones, you know, it does build relationships, but the content that is posted as well um, is just so interesting to read. And we always encourage members of our teams to regularly update their profiles and try and raise their profile. Um, I think that is really important in this industry. It's such a fast paced industry and we have such exciting content to post because we are always launching new developments. We have great CGIs and videos. So getting our ambassadors to regularly post those has just you know, led to some great success recently. And so to somebody who is working in your team and perhaps doesn't use social media or works in residential development and hasn't quite got their head around it yet, what would you say to them in terms of what they should be posting or what do you think works really well in terms of developing your personal brand and also then converting that into potential leads and client relationships? I think we're very lucky because the content posted on the Night Frank website is, you know, constantly updated and it, it's very interesting. So sometimes the safest way to post is obviously to share. Um, and we constantly have new updates that are appearing several times a day. But in terms of other social media profiles, I just think um, having an Instagram profile and a LinkedIn profile are pretty important. But just obvious things like, you know, making sure the spelling is correct and making sure the images are edited correctly. Um, we do have a social media expert at Night Frank who, who can help us with that. And also we have obvious, you know, we have a lot of training that we can undertake. But LinkedIn has been invaluable recently, um, not only for the content, but just for trying to find out who's, who's moving within the industry and where and also what's happening during lockdown. It's been a really, really good way of staying in touch with people that we wouldn't necessarily have a Zoom call with. Mm, definitely. It's, it's in the name, isn't it? It's it's social and it allows you to present the version of yourself online that you want to and also convey that to clients and people who want to have other opportunities with Night Frank. And the topic of this podcast is, in, is also in the name is At Home With. And so I'd love to find out a little bit more about your home. You mentioned that you live in, in northwest London, but what was it that made you fall in love with your home and why do you love it so much now? When we were looking for a home, it was very important to be in northwest London. Um, first, Firstly, for the proximity to Baker Street, um, it's very easy to get into Baker Street, but also because of the abundance of parks around the area, um, we can step outside and have access to five or six parks in the vicinity, which has just been phenomenal, especially with the, the recent weather that we've been having. So green space has always been important to me, but also proximity to Queen's Park. It's an area very close to my heart. Um, I lived there for several years when I moved to London and love spending days there, walking down to Queen's Park and Notting Hill. Um, so that was very important to us. And then finally, having a garden. Um, we've spent a lot of time in the garden since lockdown, 
and just being able to take a bit of a breather in between meetings and after meetings has really made a difference. And you mentioned earlier your particular love for interior design. So was that something you were really excited about when you moved into your house, the ability to be able to design it in the way that you wanted to? Yes, definitely. I'd say that we had a number of plans. Some have materialised, others are pending. Um, And we obviously had a huge list of things to do during lockdown that we haven't touched. But yes, decorating a new home is extremely, extremely exciting to me. I am fascinated by it and always willing to comment on other people's proposals as well. I think I uh, having a regular subscription to House and Garden um, has also kept me going during lockdown. <laughs> Amazing. And which room in particular in your house that you've you've designed in the way that you want to is your favourite and why do you love it? I wouldn't say any of them are finished, Becky. I'd say that we're getting there very slowly. But um, my bedroom, Markdown Master Bedroom, that's probably my favourite room. It's it's very dark um, and it is just somewhere that I can truly feel that I can relax. It feels quite serene um, and I can totally recommend painting a bedroom dark. It just helps you sleep um, and just seems like a relaxing bit of space to get to at the end of the day. When you look at all of our our developments that you've worked on, and do you find yourself kind of taking inspiration from things you see in there? Do you kind of see something and think, oh, I'd love to put that in my house? And are you making kind of mental notes whenever you see something? Definitely. I think all of us that work within um, our team are probably the same. So we are constantly seeing, um, you know, current trends and great ideas for decoration and furniture, some of which is affordable, some obviously isn't. But as I mentioned earlier, having relationships with the interior designers has certainly helped. Um, And they very kindly sometimes provide us with details of where we can get the antiques that they're purchasing or where they source their artwork, all of which is actually quite affordable in some schemes. Um, But yes, it is very hard not to get carried away with it all. Mm, definitely I can imagine whenever I go and visit a new development I'm like ah I haven't got my own house I'm at least 10 years off getting my own house but I will definitely be making notes of these and at the moment if someone was to look on the on the Knight Frank website and wanted to see someone with incredible interior design or you thought that there was a particular development that really stands out that they can look at at the moment which one would you tell them to go and have a look at? That's a very very good question Um, I will try and not be biased I will go for Lincoln Square, um, which is a loader development. And the main reason is actually the amenities rather than the apartments. The apartments are obviously very impressive, but the amenities are just outstanding. Um, They are not actually finished yet, but we do have some impressive images. So as soon as lockdown is over, um, I'm very much looking forward to going to to see them. But basically, they encompass a swimming pool, fitness suite, a children's play area. So it's just an outstanding, outstanding provision, really, to have in one of our developments. So that's the one I would look at. For interiors, I would probably look at Gas Holders, King's Cross, um, which is actually a project that Number 12 Studio, the, the designers that I mentioned previously, have worked on. And that's really um, a development that's been quite sympathetic to the history and the architecture um, around King's Cross. And we have some great images and video tours online. So we conclude every podcast with a quick fire round. And the first question is London or country? London, but I'm actually, I'm a coastal lover at heart. So if I can pick coast, I will go with coast. Classic or contemporary? Both. 
especially a combination if possible. Penthouse or townhouse? Townhouse, a Georgian townhouse. That would be one of my dream properties. Call or email? Can I say both again? I I think nothing beats a phone call, but I do like to follow it up with an email just to confirm everything that's been discussed. Office or working from home? I would actually now say working from home, not only because I think we've been more efficient because we're reducing our traveling time, but it also has impacted pollution as well. Um, And it's nice to have that little bit of time in the morning at home. Tea or coffee? Coffee, although I am limiting it to one a day at the moment. Swimming pool or tennis court? Swimming pool, always. I'm a water baby. Walk or run? I think running is evil, so I am going to go for a walk with the dog. And the final one, possibly the most difficult one, Marlebone or Leeds? Marlebone. Come on, obviously. (laughs) So the final question that we ask everybody on the podcast is what does connecting people and property perfectly mean to you? Without repeating myself, I think it's definitely about listening, showing empathy and understanding requirements. Um, Ultimately, I think we always need to be, you know, considering every opportunity that's available and how we can add value. Priya, thank you so, so much. Thank you very much, Becky. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of At Home With. If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd also love it if you shared this episode on social media, and please check out the show notes for more information. I'll be back in a few weeks' time with the start of season two and a brand new set of guests for At Home With.